And this week we're going to be looking at John 15, verses 1 through 11. John 15, verses 1 through 11. And this is kind of like a, people reference this a lot. If you've been in the church, you've maybe heard of this. If you haven't, you've maybe even heard like illustrations of this or like cute little Etsy pictures of like a vine or something, right? Um, So this is where Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. And, And if there's a target, if there's a goal, if there's something I want us to, to be walking away with tonight, it, it would be a healthy orientation of our view of salvation. A healthy orientation of our view of salvation. Here's what I mean by that. That, that we would see that, that salvation is not just imitation, but it's participation. A shift from salvation being imitation to salvation being participations. And so you can see here, I have relation on that and I have relationship on the second part. Imitation and relationship. So here's what I mean by, by relation. Right, we, we're all a part of families. And you're in relation to one another. But it doesn't necessarily mean there's relationship, Right? So I mean, maybe you have brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers, uncles, aunts. It's, it's, yeah, we are, the status of that is I am related to you. But you wouldn't really say we, we have a relationship with one another. And what a salvation of imitation says, it's, I've got the Willy Wonka golden ticket. I ate the chocolate got the ticket, and, and I'm going to cash this in on the day, and I'm going to go to the chocolate factory, and it's going to be awesome. Or I've got the ticket for salvation, I've placed my faith in Jesus, and then I, I can't wait for him to get back, it'll be awesome, I'll see him someday. And this side of heaven, man, we're going to work hard, and we're going to do it, and I'm going to try to imitate Christ, I'm going to do the best I can. It's not bad. And it does, it does say, hey, I have a status as a child, it sees all those things, but a salvation of imitation is a partial gospel. It's a partial gospel that misses out on the deepness and the joy of life in God. A salvation of participation says, I I am in relation, I am in status with God, and I recognize that eternal life doesn't start later. I don't have the ticket that I'm going to cash in later. I have the ticket now, and I have life with Jesus now. I have life in God now. Another way to say it is that a a salvation of participation says, my supreme good is participating in the life of God through the person of Christ. Repeat that one more time. My supreme good is participating in the life of God through the person of Christ. And I think that's what Jesus is going to be hitting on tonight when he's talking about I am the vine. Of what is our supreme good? What's the reason for our existence? What's our basis for existence? What is my supreme good and how do we get there? Jesus hits on all of these things in John 15 verses 1 through 11. We're going to look at verses 1 to 6 first. John 15, 1 through 6. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that, that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that 
does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus uses this vine imagery immediately here. So you guys could grab the, the very not discreet prop over there. Um, I figured if I'm going to teach at Salt Company, I only get to do this every once in a while. <laughs> and I don't get to big, bring big props to Anthem, so... Uh, I just get it all out here. You're welcome. Um, thank you. Thank you very much. That's great. Yeah, that's perfect. Dude, you nailed that. You guys, give them a round of applause. So Jesus uses this vine imagery. So here's the thing. This, this is a real-life vine. Not even joking. So Rachel, my wife, and I, we live in this, uh, this part of Columbia. It's like right smack dab in the middle of town, but there's, there's a ton of trees around there. And when we first moved in, uh, we, we noticed these things. If you can look how twisted it is here, right? These things, they, they wrap up around the trees. And one of our friends came over there, and he's like, hey, you might want to get that looked at. I've heard that like vines aren't good for trees or something. So I was like... Okay, I know nothing about that, and so I will call Tree Guy. And so Tree Guy came to our house. When you get old, you have a Tree Guy. Tree Guy came to our house, and he looked at that, and he said, yeah, you're going to, to want to cut that, because if you don't, it actually grows all the way up, and it slowly suffocates the tree. It, it takes the light. It's where the tree can't get any light, any nutrients. It's going to wrap all the way up. So he's like, you need to, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the bottom. You need to cut that. So... Got my chainsaw out, and I went, so this isn't very big here. Some of these are literally at the bottom, they're just huge. It like comes up out of the ground, it's this massive part, and I got my chainsaw, and I cut, and I cut these big like four-inch chunks out, and I just took it out. He said, that's all you need to do, and slowly you'll see here, right, this thing is no longer, so I did this like a year ago, and after about two or three weeks, someone will get that later, um, <laughs> After about two or three weeks, you see them slowly start to wither and start to die. And, and actually, like all of these trees here, you, you see this here. Is, I actually just pulled this off my tree today because they're still kind of like attached. But all of them now, they, they, withered, they withered and they died because I took out a chunk. I took out the thing that was giving them life. The thing that was giving them nutrients. They have no way to get water and nutrients from the soil anymore. They're completely cut off. These branches are dead and withered because they are not attached to life. They are not attached to nutrients. They're dead. See, this is what Jesus is saying here. This is a very tangible illustration of what Jesus is talking about. He's not merely pointing to some solution saying, hey, here's how you live a good life. 
here's the good life. Here's what you do. He's saying, it is me. I am the solution. He's saying, I am life. I've made a way for you to have access to the very thing that your soul longs for. For life. Life is found in me. This is why he uses this illustration. And someone, someone would have been listening to him. And they would have had very tangible illustrations of this, right? Of seeing vines and branches that were broke off and, and branches that were withering and that were dead. And Jesus is saying, it's me. He says, I am the vine. This is how Jesus differs from every other prophet that's ever existed in the world. They don't merely, they, they, they all point to a solution. They all point to a way of the good life. Jesus says, I am the good life. I am life. I am the vine. In me is where life is at. I'm the vine. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Abide in me and I in you. He uses this this language in a lot. So, so in these 11 verses that we're going to look at tonight, he says abide nine times. Nine times in 11 verses. And, and abide, if you have the NIV or the CSB, it, it might say like remain. But it means like endure, remain, stand firm, abide. There's a word that follows abide every single time. What is it? This is an audience participation one. What follows abide every time? What is it? In. Every single time. Nine times Jesus says remain. Endure. In. Me. This is how you remain. This is how you do it. This is how you abide. Is in. Me. In my life. Second Peter. Chapter one. Verses three and four. I think there's these verses here. His divine power has granted us to all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You know, go to first of all. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them we might become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I want you to, these, these five words right here, partakers of the divine nature. This is actually where some, sometimes it's misconstrued and saying that we become gods. Jesus is not saying you become God here, but he's saying you do partake in the divine fellowship between me and the Father. You're partakers of this divine nature of life itself, the very thing that God in the beginning overflowed with joy and created the whole world out of. This perfect fellowship. This is what Jesus is saying. We partake in this divine fellowship. Again, we don't become God. We don't become like the essence and substance of God, but we do when we are in 
Christ, we partake in his divine fellowship with the Father. Being found in Christ. Again, nine times in. See, Jesus did not die to just gain servants, but he died to gain friends. He died to gain sons. He died to gain daughters. Hear that again. Jesus died to gain sons, died to gain daughters, died to gain brothers, died to gain sisters, not merely just servants. He, he died to gain people to participate in his life to his glory. He doesn't need you. He wants you. He doesn't need you to make sacrifice to try to atone to be found in, in him. He wants you. He wants you to have life in him. He wants you to draw near to him. He wants you to find these parts of your life that are dead and withered where you're not allowing God to speak in, allowing life to speak in. He wants that. He wants life for you. He wants us to find life in him. When he says abide, he says remain in me. Find life in me. When, when God looks at you, when you have placed faith in Jesus, he sees Christ's atoning work on the cross. He sees the judgment that you deserve, the judgment that was put on Christ on the cross. When you were found in Christ, Jesus takes the judgment that you deserve, that I deserve, that we deserved, and we're found in him, and we're washed clean. And then we participate in the life of God. We participate in the divine nature. We participate in life itself in the vine, in the true giver of life. There's a question, though, the question that I always had that, that was kind of confusing for me. Um, um, can you guys grab the, the whiteboard? We got two props tonight. I'm just going to set that down there. There we go. Sorry, that was... You maybe drag that off when you guys are ready. Then I says the vine. I told Zach. I was like, I sent him a picture. I was like, look at this awesome vine. I think he thought I was joking. And then I said, Hi, I need you to come help me get out of my truck. And then he's like, Oh, you're being serious. So if you want to grab that and take it over there, that's perfect. Yeah, thank you guys. <laughs> you guys are never gonna forget that vine ever. So there was always something confusing for me. Thank you. With this term with abide, right? And abide in. Find life in Christ. It's like, okay, yes, I get that. Life in Christ. And, and we're, we're seeing now it's the, the salvation of imitation. It's not that. It's a salvation of participation in the life of God. Right, that's what, that's what we've seen here at the beginning part. Not just imitation, not just I got the ticket, I'll see you, Jesus, when you return. 
but right now we participate in his life. But there was a question that always bugged me, like, what does that actually look like? How do I participate in the life of God? If I'm called to be in Christ, what, is, what does that mean? To, to answer that, I can talk about communion with God, communing with God. We have three parts to communing here. Can you read that? Speech. Speak. I'm speaking to you. Response. Uh, response. And then act. Speech, response, act. Speech, response, act. Nice. You guys nailed that. Speech, response, act. So I always wanted to ask the question, though, like practically, what does it look like to commune with God? And, and I actually just started looking at stuff of like, how, how do you just commune with another person? What, is it, what does it look like to commune with someone else? If I'm at Starbucks, right, and, and I'm sitting across from someone, it's pretty easy to ask them, like, hey, like, we're not, like, communing with other people, in this room, right? If I sit here, like, hey, Matthew, pretend we're at Starbucks. How are you? So good. So good. What do you got there? Uh, I got a double espresso uh, brown sugar. Wow. <laughs> $7, $9 double espresso brown sugar shaking. Fantastic. Right? It's easy when you go to Starbucks, someone, me and Matthew are talking, we're having a great conversation. It's easy to see, right, that that we're not necessarily communing with other people in that circumstance. Communing is not mere proximity with someone. It's not just I walk in the room and I'm automatically communing with every single person in there. There was something about an interaction, his double brown sugar espresso stirred thing, that there's something happening there that we're communing with one another. What is happening? When you look at the very basis for communing with another being, there's three parts to it. Speech, response, and act. So when you speak, you are, you are bringing something into existence that someone can either choose to take hold of and connect with or not connect with. If I say, Matthew, those are awesome glasses, and he said, yeah, the weather next Wednesday is going to be crazy. And I'm like, dude, you did not hear what I said, did you? And he just keeps doing stuff like that it's easy to see right there, like we're, we're missing something. I'm speaking, his responses are not at all connecting to the words I am putting out there. But when you commune, you, you, you speak, they respond, they speak, you respond, you're slowly moving into deeper connection with one another. You're connecting to the words that are being put out there. And then there's act. If my wife comes home from a long day of work and she's like, man, my feet hurt. I'm like, sorry that your feet hurt. I responded to her words, right? Like I, I, I gave a response. I, told, I, I showed, yes, I hear what you say and I'm going to respond with something. Which is a deeper response, that 
or not saying anything and just getting on the ground and starting to rub her feet. It, it, it's easy to see, right, that the second response shows a deeper understanding of her need in that moment. It actually moves us into deeper communion with one another. She spoke, and I acted in response. I showed understanding of her need, and I chose to die to myself and love her in that moment. And when you kind of start to look at it through this framework, you, you see how, like, sometimes, you know, when you're trying to connect with someone, it's just not happening. You're like, what is going on? It's like something is off here. There's probably a misunderstanding. There's probably not love. How does this connect to John 15? This is, this is one of those things when I started to look at this, and if you, like, get a new car or something, all the college students getting new cars, apparently, but you, like, start to just see that car everywhere. It's like, I see that car, I see that car. See, it, they, there's so many Priuses around here. Um, I don't have a Prius, I was kidding. Um, but it's one of those things that as you start to see this framework for communing with another being, right here in John 15, verse 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Right there you have all three. Abide in me and my words in you. God has spoken in his scripture. His speech is absolute. God is absolute communication. God is absolute speech. I have spoken to you. Ask whatever you wish. Respond. Respond to my words. Respond to me. Petition to me. What does he say after that? Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. God says, I will act towards that. And if this has been a confusing thing where, like, can I just, like, pray that my college tuition will just be paid for tomorrow, and it's, I'm going to get a thing in my checking account, and it's going to be awesome? What, what he's saying here is, is as God speaks to us and as we respond in prayer and petition and praise, as God acts towards us, as we act towards God, we move into deeper communion with him. We move deeper into the life and love of God. And with that, our minds become more like the mind of Christ. Therefore, we pray more like how Jesus prayed. Therefore, whatever you ask... It'll be done because my prayers are that of the kingdom. My prayers are that of the creator. Because as God speaks, I sit in his word. I abide in that. I abide in his words. We abide in his words. We respond. He acts, and we're, we're moved into deeper fellowship as you continue to go throughout this. I, I think it's more significantly stated here Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What does he say there? Keep my word. I've spoken to you. Remember, all of this is answering the question, how do I abide in Christ? Okay, Jesus is the vine. How do I move deeper into that? God has spoken in his word. He has done this already. 
If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. If we obey, we are moved deeper into the life of God. That is simply what he's saying here. And here's the, here's the switch with that. It is Jesus is not saying, obey me to gain servants. He's saying, obey me because it is one of the primary means by which you move deeper into life with me. That you move deeper into love. That you move deeper into peace. John 14, 27 He says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus wants that for you. When he's calling you to obedience, he's asking you to move into deeper life with him, move deeper into his love, move deeper into his peace, move into deeper contentment with him. He's saying, I have spoken. I have given commandments. Obey my commandments and you abide in my perfect love. Act. God has spoken. Yes, we pray and we petition and one of the primary ways we act is obey God's commandments. But again, please hear, it is not an obedience to atone for our sin. That has happened when you have placed your faith in Christ. It is obedience so that we move deeper into the life of God, so that all, as all three of these are coming together, that we would move deeper into the love of God. That is all that Jesus is wanting for us, our heart. Genuinely, like for me, I don't know about you, but like the gospel of a, a salvation, of imitation, versus a, a salvation and participation, the latter is a lot harder to believe. That God doesn't just want me to just serve him more so that he can have another little pawn here on earth, but that he just wants my heart, he just wants me. You're telling me Psalm 51 is true? That all you want is a broken and contrite heart and you, my sacrifices are nothing? That I would give sacrifices, but I can't. You just want my heart. That Isaiah 66 is true. That this is who the Lord looks upon. Those who are humble and contrite and broken in spirit. You're telling me this is the gospel that I truly don't have to do anything or bring anything to be accepted? And in the world of branding, where you have to build your own brands, be seen as something. Go have success. 95% of the people in this room are getting a college education to go get a job and all of these things, which is great. But in that type of world, this can be so hard to believe. That God wants your obedience because he wants your heart. Please hear that. God wants your obedience because he wants your heart. He wants you to move into deeper life in him, and he is giving you the means by which you can do it in Christ. This is our supreme good. This is our supreme joy. This is what we fight for. So you have all of these things 
Mao Zedong Satan. Satan, the world, and flesh. Our fight is to keep this as tight as possible. Our fight as Christians is when we place faith in Christ is I want to be with him in his word. I want to be in prayer and meditation and praise and petitioning. And I want to walk in obedience. We do not need to overcomplicate this. The gospel is really that simple. God has spoken. Hebrews 1 says God has spoken in his son in these days. In Christ, God has, has displayed his love for us in his son coming and dying for us on the cross so that we might participate in his life. God has spoken in his word. Satan might say, though, back to Genesis 3, did God actually say? Did, did, did God actually speak that? You don't really need to get time with him. You don't really need to, to, to rely on the Bible that much. Did God actually say? And as he does this, it pulls this speech part out a little bit. And it muddies that up a little bit. And then there's misunderstanding. Maybe the world says, you, you don't have time to slow down and pray and get time with the Lord. You don't. You, you've got classes. You've got work. You've got friendships. You've got social. You don't have time. You don't. You have all of these things, and I'm not disregarding that you have all of these things, but your deepest joy, I can assure you, every single person in this room, your deepest joy is right here. Your supreme good is right here. It is where life is at. And we fight for that. Your flesh say, I don't really want to die to my, don't die to yourself. Don't die to yourself and, and do that. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Comfort is a little bit better right now. You don't need to act in obedience right now. It's okay. Jesus, verse 11, I absolutely love verse 11 here. He encapsulates this center part. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I have spoken these things. I have called you to live like this, to abide in me, because where deepest communion happens with me is where your deepest joy is. Jesus makes that promise. When you act in obedience, he's saying that is to your deepest joy. That you're, he, the, he, can, he can say that your joy may be full because he is joy. He is love. Again, he, he says, I give you a peace not of this world. And he's saying, as you walk with me, you will experience that. If you are anxious and you are burdened tonight, this is where you find freedom. Jesus can say my yoke is easy and my burden is light because he is the solution and he has given us the solution. And he's given us, honestly, a really simple way to move towards that, to move into deeper life in him. But we overcomplicate it and we don't believe it at times. We don't have faith to think that th this is actually what God, our, our 
our minds go to, I need to atone, though. I need to do these things. We put these burdens on us that Jesus is not asking us to wear. He's saying, obey me, sit in my commandments, sit in my word, be with me. That you might move into deeper life in me, that your joy may be full. That is what we fight for. That this is, this is what we fight for. The fight for holiness is the fight for this. The fight for holiness is the fight to move into deeper life in God. So whatever comes to your mind right now in the fight for holiness, the reason you fight, the reason you fight to obey is so that you can move into deeper life in God. Whether that's purity, drug use, alcohol use, isolating yourself, I, whatever it is that, it, that the Lord is impressing upon you right now, I want you to hear he calls you to walk in obedience so that you might have joy to the fullest. And it's explained right here as we act towards God. As we deny ourselves, we're moved deeper into communion with God, into deeper life with God. I want to encourage you as we worship tonight to close out just be asking this question, what, what, where am I not fighting right now? Where is Satan really speaking in? Where am I letting the world win? Where am I letting my flesh win and pull these apart? And would you fight for all your might with this? And would you take that really seriously? And ask the question, it, it, am I found in Christ? Am I finding true life in him? May we fight for that because that is our supreme good. That is our joy is participating in the life of God through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, this is really a a gospel that's hard to comprehend at times that you genuinely just want us to move into deeper life in you. You genuinely just want us to see you. But it, it's, it's when you start to see this framework over and over and over again in Scripture, you just see Jesus hitting the heart. You see Paul praying for the heart to be strengthened. And that is that so that our, our heart might be strengthened to move into deeper life with you. Lord, may we have the faith to believe you When you say, obey my commandments so you might abide in my love. Lord, you're saying that because you want our heart, you want us. We can do nothing to atone. I praise you that this gospel is true, but I, I plead right now that, that the hearts of these students would be strengthened to really believe that love. That relationships that they've had that have not displayed that well, that those wouldn't be projected on the relationship with God. And we could just find more of the fullness of life in you and fight with all of our might for our supreme good and our fullness of joy in you. Lord, you're so good. And we just respond to you, respond to your word and worship and praise right now. 
we love you. Amen.